just first off the bat, I just want to quote from Memory Alpha's writing on Deep Space Nine, the very first entry, the actual Deep Space Nine entry on Memory Alpha, and its line pertaining to Miles O'Brien, I believe. Miles O'Brien was brought on from DS9 and made part of the space station's senior staff because the producers felt that Colmini was too talented an actor to combine his character to a transporter room. Additionally, they hoped that the TNG crossover would help to boost the new series ratings. And in fact, Colmini had such a uh, benefits laid, he had him over such a barrel, that he had such a benefits laden contract, but these are some clauses in his contract. He was allowed to play golf twice a week. He was allowed to, because his accent was an issue, he was allowed to attempt his line three times before uh, Paramount was allowed to bring in someone to dub over his lines. Also, he had a stipulation where he couldn't die. Like, they couldn't, literally couldn't kill him because he didn't like the idea that there could be movies and he wouldn't be in them. Also, uh, he also had a contract writer that he could leave the set at any given time to go shoot a film directed by Gary Marshall. He was in every Gary Marshall film after that, and that that was a pretty onerous uh, stipulation. He also had to have top billing on the show. He had... Um, he had to have the exact same pay as Avery Brooks and the exact same number of lines in every episode as Avery Brooks. Also in his contract was he got to, um, that wasn't his real hair. He was actually very protective of his hair and he needed a, a much nicer, uh, you know, he just didn't want to like put his hair up to the rigors of filming. So they paid for a $10,000 wig for him on the show and that was his favorite item and he got to keep it at the end. Um, he also had the largest uh, dressing room, and he was offered if he ever wanted to buy any of the clothes that he wore on set. He was uh, it was in his contract that he got a fifty percent discount on that, and also he had unlimited Monte Cristo cigars shipped to the set from Cuba. I don't know how they swung that, but that was something they did. That's how bad they wanted him on the show. I'll talk about this episode in greater detail after the remix. Klingon opera, Altonian brain puzzle. Oh yeah. Bounce not steamed or fricassee. Try basic cloning. Oh yeah. Garanian engine bugs. Oh yeah. It's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we will be talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hello. And Hugh Crawford. Hello. And today we're talking about the second episode? A Man Alone. Or are we talking about the third episode? We are talking about the second episode written and filmed, but the third episode aired. So I think on all of the DVDs and on Netflix now, it is officially the second episode. But if you ever go by like IMDb or anything like that, it always has it marked as the third episode. Nobody remembers watching it as it aired and insists. <laughs> yes, I distinctly remember that the past prologue was the second episode. I'm sure there are many people that do, but you're less important. <laughs> yeah, you know, I might agree with them, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, uh, past prologue is a better episode, so. Well, I've got the description right here for everybody following along at home. Uh, Man Alone, Deep Space Nine. It's listed as episode three on IMDb. It aired on January 17th, 1993. The description is right here. Ibudon, a criminal slash murderer Odo has dealt with before, returns to DS9 only to be murdered shortly after. 
leaving Odo to be the prime suspect. Meanwhile, Jake and Nog's troublemaking prompt Kiko to do something helpful for the station's children. Oh boy! <laughs> so we've got a we got an A, a storyline and a B storyline, and we actually have a C storyline that is not really listed here, but kind of touched upon where it's Julian fighting over Jaxia <laughs> with uh, Captain Cisco. Even though Captain Cisco is not really fighting at all, and uh, I think that's pretty much pretty much the overview of this episode, right, guys? Oh yes, yeah. That's how it opens with him hitting on uh, Perry Farrell, right? Right. And Perry Farrell is just <laughs> doing the Altonian brain puzzle. Mm-hmm. I, I get the feeling, I don't know, most of my notes about this was written uh, about sex. I don't know. <laughs> that was the thing that it, yeah. like, it seems like that was the, because the A plot is so boring and weird. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> that I was just like. We're talking about the murder plot. The murder right? plot is so boring and solved so weirdly that I. Uh, yeah, we. Okay, let's just stop to how it's. Let's just go straight ahead to how this thing is solved. Okay, <laughs> this, this bugs me because I don't quite understand. I felt dumb. Like, am I dumb? Because I'm not. I don't understand how they actually. They. I still don't know how the murderer in and out of the room. Okay, spoiler. Ibudon, or however you say his goddamn name. Ibudon. 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 He's ended up. He's he's found dead in his room. Okay. No, he's found dead in a hollow sweet holodeck hooker house. Yeah, getting a fleshy kiss massage. That's what it was. Might as well be his room. And and apparently you can use holodecks for porn, which has not been touched on before. Yeah. No. It's just a no-brainer, I mean. <laughs> like exactly. And then, then you're like immediately like that would be all the soldiers or all of the soldiers of these on the Enterprise and everything would be doing all the time. And it would be a problem. <laughs> yeah, you never see a UV light on the holodeck for a reason. <laughs> Riker falls in love with that one, didn't he? That, you know, he was. So did Jordy. Yeah. But it's not like some sort of weird webbed hand woman licking your back. I mean, that was like. <laughs> hey, guys, are in, aliens are into weird shit. They are. Into... Yeah, yeah. Well, and the bad guy aliens are into weird shit. Well, you know, that's, that's, what they're, so. that's what they're telegraphing to us there, right? Basically, is that we know he's a bad guy because he's into some kinky shit. And he was a bad guy because he ran medical supply, like yeah. black market medical supplies or something. Right. He was like a hairy lime from the third man. Yeah. But he but he let a child die and Odo never let him, never forgot that. And that's why he hates him. Yeah. And killed a Cardassian soldier who wouldn't be bribed to let him through. Right. Did you guys notice how Odo doesn't sound like he smokes a carton of cigarette today in this episode? Like, that was an acting choice that, uh, what's-his-face comes up with. Renee Aberjanois. Aberjanois. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, he's, he sounds like he's been smoking for 200 years later in, this, in, the, yeah. in the series. But in this episode, he's, he has, like, a, more of his, the actor's natural timber to his voice. Mm-hmm. He sounds like the villain on Benson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny that. Did you guys notice that? Or was that just my imagination? I did, and I actually was going to say that I think he he's great. Like he's great yeah. in the show. And in this and his scenes with Armin Shimmer and the fuck what's Quark are, are great. Quark, yeah. So I'm not gonna say that a lot on this episode, so I wanna get that out front that <laughs> those two scenes are great. Yeah, yeah. I mean I forgot how early they set up that like, yeah, they're enemies, but they're the like, oh, but Quark actually likes them and goes out of his way to help them out. Yeah. But you know, mm-hmm. I like that. That's good stuff. So this murder is solved because the guy in question uh, is not actually 
is just the cl- the, the dead guy is a clone, and the murderer is the original criminal guy. Right. And they all the frame. So how did he get in and out of the room? Just because I think how he, I think that that because they have the same DNA, the DNA readers would just read it as one person. If they went in at the same time, yes. they say, oh, it's someone who went in. But the problem is, if they went in at different times, it would still log each time. It's it's all about logs. Right. And who went, yeah. Yeah, that's dumb. Because if I've got two files in my trash can on my stupid 2015 computer, if they're identical files, it still says, still says I have, you know, two files. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's that. And then uh, I guess the the thing that I was like, well, what about in the bedroom? If they didn't see two people come in on the Bajoran ship, did he c- cook up the, the weird Cronenbergian clone thing? Did he do that in the room on the space trip to Deep Space Nine? Yeah, because, well, they there were two bunks in his chambers. Yeah. And they only found... And that was very important. That was very important. But they only found one set of DNA in there. But there are still two people sleeping there. The problem was, what are you telling your clone to coax them to, on this thing? That's what. I, that's my question. It's like, how do clone clone? How does cloning work? Because you can grow a fully formed <laughs> adult clone, and it has, I guess, it has like its own consciousness. Because they, at the end, they just say, "We grew another clone, and we just set it off to live its life." But it's a grown adult. Does it have all his memories, or is it like? Duh. Little. That's what I was wondering, because at the end, Bashir just did it on a lark. Well, let me start cloning a motherfucker to solve this case. <laughs> right. And I was like, don't you have to yeah. get like some sort of approval for that? That like you've just created a life to to crack a case for no reason. And at the end of it, I was just like, well, I I guess he's there. We can put him down again. Like, well, we can put him down when it's over with. He's just a clone. No, but they 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 go out of their way to say it's still it's still murder if it's a clone, and that's why they send. Ibudam back to jail because he killed a clone, even though it was his own clone. It was still murder, right? Okay. Once you they grew half they grew half a clone and they couldn't is well that gets in the whole pro life debate. Yeah, when does a clone become a clone? <laughs> yeah, what exactly? Right. Like at no point was the ethics of what they were what Bashir was doing was it ever questioned. Like they at no point said, "What the fuck are we doing?" No. Can't we? Isn't there another way to do this without creating a human being and being responsible for him? Yeah, it's almost like he he walked into the solution ass backwards, like something that was growing in his fucking fish tank, and then he really didn't. He didn't know until it became a humanoid. Humanoid. He cracked the case then. Right. Right. Okay. So this episode has got a lot of the stuff that we were talking about in episode one, where they're telegraphing very hard. That this is, in fact, a Western. You've got an angry mob. You've got uh, a murder, you know, a small town murder mystery. You've got a frontier school mom, literal <laughs> school mom. Yeah. Yes. And you've got, like, the frontier children that need to be, uh, you know, that are too wild, you know. And you actually have O'Brien replicate an old-timey school <laughs> bell and... That he like replicated and wrapped up and gave to his wife. This is everything that I hated about Star Trek Deep Space Nine <laughs> when I was watching it live, and none of the stuff that I liked about it in the rewatch, you know, because it's like Star Trek is supposed to be going adventures in the final frontier, and this is just a frontier. You know what I mean? Yeah. These characters feel stuck. Everything that happens on the station has no real 
consequence. You know, um, Cisco is supposed to be this powerful guy, you know, on the station, but he's just kind of relegated to arguing with his doctor about whether or not he could date his old friend. <laughs> Which I totally want to unpack because I've got all go, kinds of I want to talk about that whole subplot too because I have, I have, the, yeah, yes. go for it. So, let's go. Where your oh, are we ready for it now? Yeah, let's do it now. Why the hell not? We've already okay. established that this is a, this is a boring ass wild, wild west. <laughs> We already established the A plot is dumb. It's dumb and boring, and we should avoid it. Okay, so... Oh, yeah, let's go into this. Yeah. So, okay, so... First off, like, she is... Uh, Perry Farrell is... <laughs> right. Is, is... Okay, are we supposed to view Julian Bashir at this point in the series, at least, as, like, uh, sort of like Ryan Howard from The Office? Well, we're not supposed to view him as Ryan Howard from The Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> but like BJ Novak's character, are we supposed to view him as like this like just because he looks kind of like him? <laughs> no, I think he's supposed to be like this dumb little shit who's constantly trying to like impress everybody or think he's like overly smart and he's always thinking with his dick and always trying to impress like are we supposed to view him as like like upstart? He is unlikable in this episode. And in the next episode, which we I watched ahead out of the confusion of the episodes. Like, he in that episode is, like, a dumb... He's as dumb as a box of hammers in that episode. And on this one, he's treated... Oh, no, I think what they're trying to do with having his background being a British person from... that He's Indian in this, right? Even though yeah, the actual yeah. actor is... So, what they're trying to... Like, British India? He's Eastern Asian. He's Eastern Asian. He's Western Asian. They're trying to telegraph something about colonialism... They're trying to do something with colonialism by having him, this character beat have that sort of background mm-hmm. and then having him in this context. It, does that make sense? You guys get that feeling by being just sort of like a dumb blonde. I mean, like, I mean, like what, like a stereotype of like the dumbest type. No, I have how like whatever, like colonialism is bad that the natives don't that, that like mm-hmm. the whole idea of the noble savage is bad and the people it's that old story. You know what I mean? Right. They, Cause like, even in the first episode when Kira's like, Oh, you're going to come in and save the heathens or whatever. And makes him feel bad. Right. His ignorance is rooted in, in, in that. And in, in, there's like cultural ignorance. Or like in privilege or in. Yes. Yes. Okay, that, that, okay. That's where, that's where I'm coming from. I could see that. No, 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 I agree with that. I think they're trying to do that in a, some sort of ham fisted way that they can't exactly wrap their mind around at this point. Okay. And it, 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 you know, and also casual misogyny. I think that. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's kind of where I want to talk. Well, the whole Zadzia, mm-hmm. Dax, and, and Trill thing in the context of Star Trek in general, which is interesting. Well, yeah. Well, this was the thing I was. I did try. I, I said earlier that I was going to try and find old uh, Usenet groups on the internet as they talked about it. And that was one of the things that was talked about on Usenet a lot is that there was a. The internet was the Usenet was full of a lot of LGBT uh, people who were mm-hmm. interested in Star Trek, and were very excited about where the Trill storyline could go. Right, because in the first episode, I was like, "Oh, this is the closest thing to not a gay character, but even just a bisexual character that they've had." And then they totally yeah. any hint of that from the first 
the first episode is totally gone and it's totally kind of like heteronormative. That's what I, okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Okay, so she is, uh, she says some bullshit that trills are somehow above sex and they don't view relationships that way and she should stop, he should stop hitting on her. Now, if she's just using a line to get this dumb shit off of her, that's cool. But, A, in a future episode, we will see that, and oh. even in this episode, he talks about, uh, that uh, Cisco talks about when him and Curzon went and shagged those two Roji. Right. Oh, let's stick with the inconsistencies, inconsistencies of this episode, because I think that's enough to unpack. Yeah, but it, they talk about with Curzon and doing, like, even every person, it, every character, everybody in this whole series at this point just accepts it. Like, there's no way that there could even be a bisexual character. Aliens. They fuck things of all these different species, but they're like, well, she's a woman now. There's no way that she could be with another woman or vice versa. And like, I know I know you don't want to go forward, but can we go back to when the Trills were first introduced in The Next Generation? Sure. It was uh, Beverly Crusher fell in love with a guy who was a Trill. Yeah. And fell in love. And I think they had sex. I think they fucked. I think so. And then he died on some sort of mission. And then she goes and visits. They're like, we saved the Trill. And she goes in and it's a woman. And the woman's down for it to be with Beverly Crusher, but, you know, Beverly Crusher's like, well, no, this is over with now. Which, I, you know, I get. It's up to her, but I mean, like... But it's like, if even the writers, and going back, let's just bring uh, Berman into it for a second. Yeah. <laughs> let's not shit on him. <laughs> just in the Bajorans in general. Like, I went back and I looked, you know, the Bajorans were introduced with Michelle Forbes, right? Forbes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... The whole reason they have the easy makeup where it's just the brow ridge was because Berman was like, she's a hot lady. She was pretty. We don't want to make, we don't want makeup that makes her ugly. So let's give her the most, least obtrusive mm-hmm. makeup so that we can have a hot lady still be a hot lady. Which goes back to that theory that you kind of floated out there that we haven't talked about yet on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> that maybe he was just trying to hook up with Michelle Forbes. He wanted Michelle Forbes in the show. <laughs> Real bad. Let's not ugly up this woman. Let's make her hot. Let's give her this cheap, easy prosthetic. And that paid dividends when they had all these billions of Bajorans later on in Deep Space Nine. It sure did. So they don't have to make that much makeup. Except when they have Cardassians. <laughs> yeah, it's just a dollop of, of putty. It's not that much. Yeah, and and they have even less in this. They don't have the full trilobite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that she did in initially. Yeah. Yeah, you basically ignore it. It's just there as a signifier so that, oh, these people are majority. Which is nice sure. when you're watching cloud scenes and stuff like that. Which goes back just to the whole thing that nobody in this universe can even accept the idea. Which, you know, at the time this aired... If there were, it would like it was. It would have been a huge deal. People would have had a big reaction to having even gay characters at all. The people in the Usenet groups would are on board, you know. But like the culture at large, it would have been like a huge, you know, thing. So yeah, we're talking about how this the Star Trek universe is is basically hamstrung by the conventions of network television in the mid nineteen nineties. So then that brings me to the question of. Why is it out of the realm of possibility for of Cisco to fuck Jadzia Dax? Well, I think he realizes that it's it's like just because there's an attractive woman on the station doesn't mean she's a prize to be fought over. That's it's oh, wait, so you think he's being altruistic? I think he just is an adult and that's his friend and he could be friends with a woman. Right. Well the whole they, they make a whole thing in this episode of him still getting used to the idea of her being a woman at all. He still thinks of her as a man and he has to get over that because she's a woman now. So he's not even ready yeah. to fuck her even if he were into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I, it's not that I, he's above it. It's just like, right. oh, this is weird because you used to be a dude. Now you've got boobs. Well, even in the writing of it, where it's like, he, yeah. uh, Curzon used to beat me in hand to hand combat or judo, something, 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 judo. Yeah, it's I'm like, like made up, made I bet up. You Jack Zia still could, like, don't assume that just because it's a woman, right? That she still can't kick your ass. Like, the casual, the, it's just casual. Like, uh, I, it, it rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> It's like 15 years ago, people were like that. We don't want to think of them like that in 2015, but much less the 24th century or whatever it is. You know, it, it just it's bogged down in, in its time, I guess. Yeah. And it's kind of weird, you know, with the ideals of Star Trek and the Udic or whatever, Idic philosophy that yeah. is one of the core principles. Mm-hmm. Right. Infinite diversity and infinite combination or whatever. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, like, they don't, but they, yeah, it, it is it is a weird sort of pansy-ass way of dealing with the storyline. But they do deal with it. I think that at this point, with the way that Dax was written, where she was like a, she was being like kind of a sex scold to Bashir, and then, like, I, the th- I remember the thing that I like most about the character is that she was kind of a sex-positive character. Right. So if that is something that you're actually trying to find is a sex-positive woman who's not treated as a whore or slut or, or have daddy issues, she was one of those characters. I mean, she goes at, I mean... That's true. You know, she goes after war. Like, yeah, there's whole right. storylines about Kurz. Didn't that? Well, there's a whole storyline later, and I don't. It's I'm not saying enough to spoil it. Where they come back and Kurzon had had some sort of affair that he was sleeping with a married woman or something like that, and it goes into all of her sort of sexual past. It's a really good episode, but like, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think they're coming at it from like any ill will. They're just like totally ignorant of any other perspectives, you know, or any other way to write a woman right. that's going to have the respect of the audience, right? And I think that was the thing is that why that's it. They're worried about how they're still worried about her. Like instead of worrying about her agency, they're worried mm-hmm. about her virtue. Yeah, and it, on the emissary and the first episode, she comes out and like, "What's wrong with me, fucking Bashir? I'm in, fl- yeah, I'm flirting with Bashir." Yeah, right. You know, and in this episode, she's like, "Oh my god!" And I can get that if the guy just she ain't into the guy feeding him some bullshit. I get that, right. but the show doesn't show that. The show just shows that she's now. That Trills view sex on a higher plane or something, and that he's just being base. And and I, I thought that was a way of, yeah, just trying to make her, well, if we have someone who's sex positive, she's, no one likes to watch Star Trek for all the dirty sluts, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, how little you know. <laughs> <laughs> they did not see the coming of Devi. Oh, maybe that's a testament to how, like, much television has changed since then. Because every show's got to have the dirty, sex-positive slut on it now. Well, yeah. Well, by the even Voyager, when it was going concurrently, it was all people doing weird shit about the hot board lady, Jerry Ryan. Oh, yeah. Right. Who was married to the politician that uh, that Obama beat in 2004. Oh, okay. Yeah, his uh, the person he beat for Senate was uh, her husband, the actress's husband, right, right. Seven of Nine's husband, was a Republican politician in Illinois. And Barack Obama beat him because he had to pull out of the race because he kept trying to have sex with Jerry Ryan in public. <laughs> yeah, he was into some freaky uh, deaky shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he had to pull out and they brought in Alan Keyes. I remember that. So anyway, so that's where I'm like, I don't, I was disappointed with the whole sort of trill sort of story and why they aren't. I mean, any number of ways you could go with that. She could have homosexual leanings. We've talked about that. You know, she 
they later settle on she is uh, an adventuresome woman mm-hmm. later on. Um, she marries a Klingon. Spoilers! So, <laughs> spoilers! Spoilers! So, I mean, that's... It's like the show's been off the air for well over probably two decades now. Well, so we're still trying to stay... Steer yeah, okay, 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 okay. Edit that out. Edit that out. <laughs> nope, nope. Stay in. Sorry, nerds. <laughs> well, the nerds know. I don't know. I apologize to them. One thing I wanted to one thing I wanted to get into is in like a wait post- before we get too far away. Do we know what steamed asna is and why it was talked about so much? Yeah, right. <laughs> I wrote that down too. Steamed asna. Steamed asna. That implies uh, there's another way to eat. Yeah, oh, fricasseed. Oh, he goes over some of the options. Fricasseed, rolio. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He turns full Bubba Gump on him. Right? <laughs> yeah, <Point> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got my steamed ass out of the way. So, what in a post capitalistic society where mm-hmm. resources basically, you know, everybody's got an endless amount of personal resources, right? Uh huh. What's the point of giving a gift? I wrote that same thing down. <laughs> I was, you get, I'm sure Keiko could just like, like, where am I going to keep this shit? Honey, she could just, I, she could just dis, like disintegrate it. Into the trash disintegrator. Put it in the trash. And then when he asks where the fucking bell is, she could just replicate another one. <laughs> I wrote that. She, she opened it. And she was so happy. Like she'd gotten a real gift. And I was just like thinking like, oh, you punched some shit into a computer. How thoughtful. <laughs> Honey, I, I packaged up for you a Google search. It cost me nothing. Right. Like, I, I wrote that down, too. I was like, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? What a shitty... So, <laughs> what we know about O'Brien, right, at this point, is that he's a shitty gift getter. Oh, my God, you're going to turn this around on your shit talking of O'Brien. Well, here, that's another thing I want to ask you guys real quick, okay? <laughs> on the first episode, we established some of the characters that kind of get on our nerves. Yes. Uh, in this episode, the second episode in, and I'll direct it at James, because how, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much did Nana Visitor get on your nerves? On Not as one? much as on the next episode. Next okay. week, I will I will full, but I will double barrel on okay. but she, Nana But this episode, she seemed like she was pretty reined in, right? Yeah, she was just the exposition, like, when Cisco asked a question, she knew the answer. I mean, she was playing like just straight William Riker in this episode, right? <laughs> or looks like, yeah. So the next episode is is much more Nana Visitor focused. And I would say that I'm on the same like O'Brien got on my like slightly got on my nerves slightly less. He did. Way did it? Way did anybody get on your nerves this episode? Um, what did you? No, I loved everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the right my mark the writer michael pillar got on your nerves oh yeah yeah he's like he's a yeah he, i was about to say he's a pillar of the writing staff but then I, <laughs> yes he is then i then i kind of gagged a little bit and then i told you about it <laughs> um so i will say on your subject of o'brien i think what i like about this show over any other star trek thing it's like that scene between, uh, is that O'Brien's a real person? He's got a wife, and his wife didn't want to fucking be here. He took a promotion, and it fucked his wife out of her career. That's a real conversation that happens to people. Yeah. And I think that that whole argument between them is real. Right. That's a real marriage argument. And I like that this show takes the time to, like, hey, there are real people in this world. Not yes. everybody's just happy robots. That's true. But it's also, like, hey, you're... You know, the tedium of provincial station life is very real. <laughs> yes. And our squabbles are a part of that tedium. 
So well, yeah. don't they? At one, I mean, later on in the, they just have an episode where everybody's so bored they go play baseball for an entire episode. <laughs> yeah, that's so. they have to fit some uh, you know holodeck episodes that people groan about ten years later. Yes, at least they didn't pull Sherlock Holmes in; they just pulled in. It was just enough tedium to have that that shock of recognition, you know, that allowed it to be somewhat enjoyable mm-hmm. for me. The kids got on my nerves. Jake, poor guy. I mean, right. But the Nog and Jake and the whole, like, I I could care less about their uh, Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer esque adventure adventures <laughs> in the old western town. We got itching bugs, but they turn people different colors. And, <laughs> and then we get scolded. Yes. We go we go to the promenade and order something that looks like a turn a, a turtle penis on a stick. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, that's that's the same sort of shit that irritates me it's like mm-hmm. we have to show that station life is boring yeah mm-hmm. for teenagers though so i believe this is the first well it's the second episode so it's not that surprising that this is the we're gonna go through a lot of firsts yeah, this is the first appearance of nog's dad uh rom yes yeah. mom. rom yes who yeah. seems to have a different characterization at this point he's not like R- retarded <laughs> i mean i mean mentally challenged yeah yeah he's just like a He's your typical Ferengi at this point. Like, oh, I don't want my kid going to a Federation school as opposed to kind of like, right. like oh, I kind of, you know, I kind of think they have some good ideas, you know? Quark. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's spot on. <laughs> Thank you. That's kind of spooky. Okay. We have a, we have a go-to Rom impersonation. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Hey, somebody get Wade back on because... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, get this Rob guy off our park. Oh, that was really good. <laughs> this is the first uh, introduction of the. I don't think in the first episode they did mention that uh, Odo has to sleep in a bucket. Oh, they do. They yes. do mention his bucket yeah. every eighteen hours. Him in his fucking bucket, bringing it up every chance. <laughs> yes, we know. We know about your bucket, Odo. You don't have to bring it up at every. Well, I think it's used as like his embarrassment, right? Right. right. Like it's like his handicap, so he always has to like he's embarrassed, so they bring it up as like a a humbling tool. Well, which whatever. is kind of fucked up. Hey, you know what? We got something we called sleep, which is basically the same thing before. Same thing as a bucket. You know what I mean? We lie and yeah, practice for death is what it is. <laughs> yeah. but, but but people have piss buckets. Oh yeah, if people have piss beds. It's also embarrassing. Oh, you know? it's, he sleeps in his. Yeah, does he does does he eat or shit or anything? That is a good question. That 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 comes up later. Yeah, I believe he does not. And I know it comes up later. And I know this other thing comes up later. But they they basically allowed possibility that Odo could fuck or something. Oh yeah, they talk about like he's got some issues with um with women with women here. Yeah, <laughs> yes. he's like oh women. Also, always do this. I'll always do that. Yeah, you never end up doing what you want to do. You always want to do what they want to do. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, more casual. Massage. He's been in a relationship. He's been hurt by Klingon opera at some point. Yes. They, you want to listen to this nice thing. They want to listen to Klingon opera. You want to do this. They want to listen to Klingon opera. Like, he's clearly it, not. He had a bad he had a bad relationship yeah. in his in his early twenties that has tainted him. For, hey, hey, Odo, how about you just don't fucking date a Klingon <laughs> <laughs> or anyone that's into that stuff? Well, here's the thing: it seems like Star Trek, from its very inception, has a concept that it's bogged down with in every iteration since then. 
which is the concept of the special man. Spock, first special man. Mm-hmm. Data, second special man. Here we are. Deep Space Nine's quote-unquote special man is... Odo. Odo. And his special abilities are what's going to be, you know, utilized to drive a story or move a plot along at various yeah. times. And quite thoroughly as the show goes on. Yes, yes. <laughs> Actually, and so I feel like that concept, I think, kind of wears me out with the with some of the original episodes and some of the next generation. Like, yeah, oh, good, another data episode. Christ Almighty, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's um, always the per- the character who has to learn what it is to be human, kind of thing, right? Yeah. So it's like I, I like that they don't bog us down with that stuff right off the bat with Odo. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it, you're right. It is. I mean, I have to say, but with I mean, with all of those characters, with Rene Abergenois, with Leonard Nimoy, and even with Brent Spiner, who who was a pretty good actor. Oh, on the show. yeah, he's great. Yeah, he, I mean, he ca- yeah, he's a great actor on the show. They cast the best actors to play those roles. I could definitely imagine worse actors making that shit way more tedious. Yeah, that's true. Right. But yeah, I mean, there is, I do remember just in general, when I watched the, through the series before Odo does get wearing. Yeah. And, and not just his relationship with, the Dominion. There's a thing called spoilers. <laughs> light spoilers. Not his relationship with the, with the Dominion, but also his right. The other way. His, his his the other the other issue with him, and like it does get very wearing. Yeah. And um. Well. And so I. The interesting thing about Odo, if we're talking about the special characters, is he's the only one of, of any of the Star Trek series, including I mean, including Voyager, and probably um. Enterprise too, though I haven't actually watched Enterprise, but nobody has. I think you may be the only person that watched it. Yeah, it's like I was going to get to it, and it didn't get to it. Apparently, it has a good last season. Or, in fact, that's the only season I haven't seen. I've I've seen the first two seasons. Well, I yeah, the people that hate the Brandon Braga apparently. Well, that's a whole other thing. Apparently, oh, yeah. the last season is good until the last episode, and it screws the pooch again. But what I was saying is. Oh. He's the only of the special men who already has, he has to learn what it is to be human or whatever, but he's already got emotions. The other ones, like Spock kills, his, it doesn't have emotion, except except when they're in Ponfar. Yeah. Data's a robot. He's he's already an emotional guy. He's a curmudgeon. He's a grumpy old man. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. Voyager has the, the doctor, which is actually great. He's kind of, he's got emotions too, but like, oh, yeah, he's the best part I show. The fuck, but that, that's a whole yeah. other podcast. It's clever. That's a clever yeah, character yeah, yeah. for the show. And then I believe the Enterprise has another Vulcan. Yes. He's already, hmm. like, when the Doctor even starts, he's just a program, and that's all he is. Yeah. He gets it later, but, yeah. No, I agree. I think he actually is a, he has his own positive qualities that the other ones don't have. I don't know. I really like, I really like Odo. He does get a little tiresome later on, but. I like that he has a philosophy. I like that he comes off with a point of view. Um, I am never, and I'm not like, not just his origin of like, where did the shapeshifter come from that was found in the Donoris belt? I'm interested in like, how did he get to this position in this political climate? And I don't know if they ever, maybe they do. I don't they remember. Do. They, they, don't, they touch they, upon that later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like uh, unpack how he actually rose to prominence. Right. Yeah. He, 
and obviously he's handy because he's a shape. Well, that's it. Is that part of he's just really fucking good at his job? Yeah. Turns out, if you want to be an investigator, being able to look like anything really helps you out. Exactly. So, <laughs> and, and during a wartime or an occupation time, mm-hmm. you know, his ability to gather intelligence is pretty much unparalleled on either side, Cardassian or Bajoran. You know what I mean? So yeah, and I mean it's sort of the Aaron. I you know it's sort of the Aaron Sorkin school of drama. How do you get good conflict in a drama series is by creating two very smart people with very passionately felt point of views that are opposed to each other. And I think they use, they create that with Odo, Yeah, you know, and I think that Odo has that, but he may be the only person in the show that does until later when, uh, when Worf comes on. Like everybody else is all kind of like, you know, just the typical Federation wishy-washy. Cisco isn't a man of, I mean, he's a man of strength and character, but he isn't like, you know, his, his whole thing is he's malleable. You know, he can play the, play the angles, which isn't always the greatest drama in the world. Not a visitor has, or, or for Kira, I'm sorry, Kira has like a strong character, but not necessarily a strong point of view. Right that she ever defines and stays with, Odo is the one that does. Yeah. Odo and, and Quark. Quark. Yeah, I was about to say Quark, Quark is, is a very, very... Quark is very smart and has a very distinct point of view. Well, they're both pragmatists. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yes. what, that's, that's like actually probably Star Trek's very first... Pragmatist. Right, both of them. And, he, yes. you know, and whenever, whenever Odo realizes that he's the prime suspect, like he's the first one to realize it. Yeah. You know, he, because he's, and he, re, and like, he immediately sees how this is going to go down and then realizes he's probably been framed because he knows he didn't kill, you know? <laughs> he knows he didn't kill. But he, in that scene with Cisco, which is a great scene, by the way, but there's elements to this A plot that's pretty good. But in that scene with Cisco, where Cisco calls him in and tells him that he's cut off the case, he, he says, you know, it, that doesn't surprise him. Yeah. Uh, and and he says um, why you know like he was like you know I, I, Odo I don't believe you did this and he was kind of like why wouldn't you yeah you don't know me you don't know me and all the evidence points to me yeah. why you know he's thinking of it like Odo like why wouldn't I be the- yeah he gets irritated <laughs> when other people aren't as pragmatic as he is exactly why would you believe in me I but, wouldn't believe right. you I'd be yeah. because mm-hmm. ultimately the the key to somebody who could survive is being pragmatic. Yes. You know? And I think... And he's had to survive. I mean, him and Quark have had to survive through so much weird shit from the, you know... I assume... How long were the Cardassians ruling Bajor? 60 years. 60 years. How... And so he was... He rose up the ranks through Cardassian rule? Yes. So, like, he, he was found by Bajoran right? Yes, that's correct. He was found by Bajorans and then eventually just rose up the ranks in Cardassian rule. Right. Why did they trust him? I don't think they had a choice. I think if you could look like anything, you... you... That goes to something we were talking that I was... that uh, In discovering this, reading about this episode, the Michael Piller wrote the screenplay, but someone else pitched the story. Let me look. Give me a second. Uh, Gerald Sanford pitched the story. And when he pitched the story, he pitched it as Odo is the Bajorans come to Deep Space Nine and accuse Odo of being a Cardassian collaborator in their sort of genocidal bit. 
And that was what the original story was supposed to be. It was supposed to be like a judgment at Nuremberg type situation. That's super interesting, actually. Oh, that sounds a lot better. Exactly. I was like, this is like, <laughs> like it was supposed to be a judgment at Nuremberg where there's all this evidence, you know, of some sort of case where he was complicit or involved with some sort of genocide, just genocidal activity from the Cardassians against Bajor, against Bajorans. And that he had to sort of defend himself and that he had to use his... That's so much of a much more interesting storyline, I can't believe. And I I feel like later on they do go in those directions. Especially for a second episode. The first episode, Emissary, is so good at setting up the arc of a series. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And even I remember as I was watching it, as a little kid, when I I don't know, when this came out in what, 94? I was... Uh, 93. 93, yeah, I was like... 13 years old, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even I remember watching subsequent after like that first episode. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is like a two hour premiere of an arc of a long story. Mm-hmm. And then watching it as it aired, it was like, oh, all the stuff I was excited about in the first episode is not a thing anymore. It's just it's just right. a regular episodic right. thing. And they just forgot about that stuff. Yeah. And that's how they ruined a lot. Of, that was like. You know, I guess X-Files started around this time, 92, 93. Yeah, yeah, And they would do that, too, with these interesting storylines with the space aliens and Mulder's sister and all of this stuff. But then they would just, no, we're just going to take that off. And, you know, we're going to have little side episodes. And, like, it wears you down over 20, because they had to do 22 episodes. Right, yeah, they're doing network. We think of, like, this great TV shows now in in our era where, you know, they're 10 to 13 episode seasons. Exactly. And they're great. And if you're watching British TV, they're six episodes. Right. <laughs> like, right. So, you know, and my favorite series this year is a Catastrophe, which is the British show Catastrophe with Rob Delaney. And it's literally three hours. You can watch the entire series in three hours. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And, and, and it's great. And it's no, it's, there is absolutely nothing that's not great on it because it doesn't have to like have these episodes you know right well that's what i think is interesting about deep space nine as a prequel to the golden age of television right yes yes because it kind of sets up this whole thing but yeah it's it's rocky they're still working under the old rules and later on when they have this like huge events going on in seasons four five and six and then they just take a they just take a couple episodes off yeah you know we're gonna put quark in a bottle episode yes because we've yes. got a small budget, and we, that's all we can do right now, which is the, exactly. you know, how bottle episodes always work. Well, they can still work better than... Because there's a great bottle episode later on that, with uh, Worf and the Jemadar that I... It's my favorite episode of the whole show. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It, but, yes. We won't talk about that yet. We For the years. But... <laughs> But yes, just lay some crumbs. Yes, lay some crumbs down on how good this show gets, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't know how much we get more we can talk about the boring A plot, even though we agree that it would have been a lot better if they'd stuck with the original pitch. (laughs) I don't even have any good trivia about this episode. There's like nothing interesting. The pitch was pretty good. Hearing about the initial pitch pitch sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's some pretty good trivia. And your little insight into Usenet groups at the time. That's good. Oh, yes, yes. I, I, I'm learning how to do that. So I'll, I'll bring more Usenet stuff in for later episodes. Right, yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, before before we go this out, I'm curious just to, if either of y'all, like, eh, we might not think this is the best episode. So, okay, 
Well, what would you do about it? If there were anything you could change about this episode, what would you like rewrite or just do differently? <laughs> I w- I, uh, you go first, you. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I tell you what, this is what I do. The the little house in the prairie shit. I'm, I'm, the problem, the problem, the problem is real. Okay. I understand that they need, like, she feels like they need to have some sort of show, but they have a holodeck. This is where I do. O'Brien, instead of making a shitty bell for a present, goes and programs a 1980s high school John Hughes program for Keiko and Nog and Jake. And they have to enter like a 1980s high school every week to get their education. That's what they have to do. Like on the holodeck. That that would be what I would mm-hmm. do. Because I don't know, have Keiko be uh, you know obsessed with the 1980s or something. You know how they're always in the Star Trek universe somebody's obsessed with something that's removed 10 years from the actual time it was filmed. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, that's that's <laughs> yes. what I would do. You know, yes. in 19, you know, 93, you would have somebody have like a height, you know, and everybody's wearing like pastels and and then you got nog hanging out with somebody who's got like a huge aquanet type hairdo in class or something and then keiko's wearing like fucking shoulder pads and stuff and teaching somebody has a hyper color yes yes well no it's more that's 90s either way that that was concurrent that That was it that was when it was airing that's what i would have done instead of this i I think that 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 speaks towards fixing a problem that you have with the show (laughs) that i i never really felt no no that i've never really felt before but i i mean you're convincing me a little bit is that the show is too claustrophobic on the set yes and if they find a way though yes that's not about gray and soviet yes it's gray and (laughs) soviet and weird and like they don't ever go anywhere that yes that would be uh, the best way to do that they do that well later on but for this time period for this time in the show anything they can do to visually break out of the show right would be welcome right but at this time they just spent probably mm-hmm. how much like money on the sets for the series but, yeah you yes. said before <laughs> that that this, this cost more than the fucking movie did. <laughs> more than the final frontier yeah, yeah. yeah. so <laughs> they're like yeah, we spent uh, like a million dollars. Which is one of the better movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh no. Yeah, The Undiscovered Country. Final Frontiers one to find God. That's not one of the better ones. No, no, no. Wait, is it? Wait. Yes, you're right. Undiscovered, Undiscovered Country. Country. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I personally think that Undiscovered Country is one of the better movies. I do, too. Yes. I'm with you. But, yes. but yeah. The Final Frontier is not. not. No. <laughs> but we digress. Yes. <laughs> All right. So what would what, you what would I f- Oh, that's a really good suggestion. He's he's infecting me with his yeah, suggestions. That feels like a whole other episode. Just like scrap the yeah, A plot okay. and just do a, There's... a school plot in the John Hughes movie. Yeah, how much I guess I'm gonna go with how much they actually like this is such a mess of a story. Yeah. And I'm generally just not a fan of A plot, B plot, C plot, plot structures, but they had to do it. So why do they like they gloss over so much crap? It's hard to point out because this episode is ass. <laughs> but um, if you're going to have a cloning thing to figure out the plot, make the show about cloning. Yes, that's something that that's something that Star Trek. That's a good point. The next generation did very well. Yes. Make it about the ethical issues of your, the shit you're doing to solve this thing. And it's essentially just a Scooby Doo plot. Who murdered the guy? We gotta, you know, it's so it boring. It is a Scooby Doo, and it's right. so <laughs> they literally pulled the mask right, off right, the guy. Right. That's what I, I would have gotten away with it if I were for you messing <laughs> kids and, and your shapeshifter. Make it about that. Uh, may, okay, if it's about how Bajorans <laughs> are sketchy with 
with Odo or Odo's uncomfortable with the Bajorans animosity towards the murder of Cardassians. Make it about that. Any number of things, but don't make it about everything. Right. All to the service of a Scooby-Doo plot. Well, I think the the whole thing is, it's like they're really, they're really going hard into the paint with the frontier pioneer shit because they had the frontier pioneer mob yeah. that got angry at the sheriff. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, constable. Whatever. The constable. <laughs> Which, by the way, in that scene where they're throwing bricks, and Cisco dodges a brick yeah. like a boss. Like he, <laughs> that was like every now and then it's like Avery Brooks is personally making decisions yes. to make his character look yes. cooler. No, that's the thing is that Cisco is, he is on the he often the episodes where he has very little to do. And this is one of them, which is weird because it's his show ostensibly yeah. this is the second <laughs> episode. But he he yes. he does. He makes these choices that remind you that he's fucking charismatic, you know? Yes. Yes. The way he delivers the fricassee line about steamed Osna. Yeah, his delivery bugs me sometimes. Fricassee! Where he just raises his toe, <laughs> like, and when he gets excited, he goes, okay, and just does that. Like, that kind of irks me a little bit. But I do agree Avery Brooks is great, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, He's an overactor. I, I, I'm the opposite. I love that weird shit. It makes me. It makes me feel like he's like a real person. See, the first episode I said before, like I bought it when I saw, when I read it as PTSD. Throwing a mood swing in there, like okay, I'm I'm doing great. I'm and, and just like yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. See, okay. Well, I I think in life you find a way to you find yourself in a situation where. If you're in a bad, boring situation, like a shitty job, like we've all faced in, in our lives, I think you find a way to say, I'm either going to double down, which I think is what the fricassee line was. He was like, Avery Brooks clapped his hands together, rubbed them together and says, I'm in this scene. I'm in it. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's going to overact or you just disengage. Like, I don't know, like probably Avery Brooks in season seven. But nonetheless... <laughs> You just Spoilers. you sort of just disengage from. <laughs> no, I don't remember. I'm not making a. I'm not making I an informed. He I probably don't. is. I don't know. I'm not making an informed. The show's great, but um, and he's great in it. But you know, I think that that was him just saying, "I am going to give this show energy. I'm gonna I'm gonna pump it in." <laughs> yeah. And so and he's I, and he made that decision when when because the direction was probably. Duck the bricks, guys. And I, Avery Brooks had to do that sort of Sam Jackson cool, like sort of head shift that didn't, he didn't look like he gave a shit that a brick was thrown at his head. Right. That was cool. And so I, I think that he's trying to find those ways. And I think he personally, I think I've read before that he wanted to have a, sh he has a shaved head. That's the way Avery Brooks has always looked with a goatee. And they didn't want him to have that. They wanted him to have just, you know, straight from central casting black man hair. Uh, probably not to scare grandma from her shows. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, all, all of a sudden, the scary black man is now running the Federation and grandma's scared. Right. So they made him look like Barack Obama in these first two seasons. But I think later on, they let him go back to the way he was after Pulp Fiction, I believe, and the rise of Sam Jackson. So it was like, why don't we just make you Sam Jackson? And Avery Brooks was like, that's what I've been fucking saying. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was Sam Jackson before Sam Jackson. <laughs> so what would you change, Wade? 
well, all of your considerations are great. If we're stuck with the episode we have, <laughs> I would have just uh, resequenced it and not made it the second episode. Oh, wait, they did that. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> it does a bad job of setting the scene for what life is like on the station. It's like they just jump straight to Odo's crime team. Yeah. Instead of, like, if they made it, it like, okay, now we have to have a Nuremberg trial because he's been on serving with the Cardassians. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But as a second episode, they just jump straight to this, like, character. Yeah. Like, like, we don't we haven't gotten to know what the life is like here. That You're right. That would have made a great, if, when that show was pitched as the Nuremberg trial, that would have been a great way because it would have been like, dude, there is so much shit to sort through. Yeah. Before getting to like a normal situation, before getting to an equilibrium on Deep Space Nine, there is so much, you know, it's like the Marshall Plan. There's so much yeah. shit that has to be dealt with that we're consumed with that all the time. Right. And that would have been interesting for a five, six, eight story arc in a 22 episode season. Yeah, because Emissary ends and they, they've they had a radical shift. They're, they've moved the station next to the wormhole. There's a wormhole. (laughs) They don't mention the wormhole this whole episode. They're just like, oh, this is what status quo is like. Oh, they don't, do they? No, they don't. And they do in the next episode, which was the aired second episode, which was about the wormhole. But also, you now have Avery Brooks's. I mean, when do they get into that? Avery Brooks is, you know, viewed as the man who brought the wormhole to Bajor and that that's like the special status that it's involved with that. Exactly. Yeah. And. There should have been a lot of unpacking about this because it just seems like you're right. At the end of the first episode, they're like, okay, this is going to become the last stop in the road of the tomorrow. You know, it's the hotel at the end of the world. And and that'll get a lot of traffic from that. But none of that is dealt with or it's dealt with. is like them saying, well, look at all these strange people that are here now because of the, mm-hmm. you know, because of the wormhole. Right. So they haven't actually unpacked anything. You don't get to see them go through that struggle. And oh my god, this episode is yeah. This is this is going to be the bearer of like bad episodes. I, we're on episode two. So, There's some good ones uh, as we as we approach an episode. When we yeah, this is a really this is a particularly bad episode. This is not a status quo for how the show will be. We can now when we're watching a bad show in the future, we can say, is it a man alone bad? Right. Oh, I feel like there's some worse ones than this one. I think this one's going to be the benchmark for a while, though. Yeah, maybe. Well, I hope so. I hope most of them are better than this. Definitely through next week, because I've watched that episode. All right. Well, I feel like that's a good teaser to leave on. Yes. For, yeah, nobody that skipped ahead, I hope, with this series that's been uh, (laughs) available to view on Netflix for as long as Netflix has been around. But, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think this is a good place to stop. All right. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? Nope. We'll see you guys next week. We'll see you next week with a past prologue, I believe is the name of the episode. Awesome. Can't wait. All right. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for listening. All right. And goodbye. Do we have to clap? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Please follow us on Twitter at Acquisition Pod. Kickers Podcasts Actually. Send us an email at Rules of Acquisition Podcast at gmail.com. You can turn this off now. Boy, we were a different podcast back then, weren't we? 
I join Hugh in saying that it is sort of disconcerting almost to, to, to sense our um, positive goodwill towards the show. And, and, and looking back on the show, I don't think it's because DS9 is uniquely bad. I actually think it's probably because it's so special that it irritated us so much uh, in its failures. And I think that it is something to the testament of the show and something of the magic of the show and something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is about how our love for something in hindsight like when you love something that much even if it doesn't hold up to uh, like in a scrutiny of an adult or when you go to it back at a different stage of life just because it doesn't hold up to you now it doesn't it doesn't mean it doesn't didn't fucking rock and i guess that that's one of the things that i'm I'm, i i think it comes down to is a lot of my critiques of the show are often this is like baby steps 101 into having a much more complicated sort of viewpoint towards politics and how culture and how culture intersects with 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 politics and 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 all of those kinds of issues and and i think that that this show was taking baby steps and that was my baby steps and so you know i one of the things i say a lot i don't know if i ever said it on this podcast but we need art for you know simpler people we need politics for simpler people we need books for simpler people because that's how simpler people become more complex people or maybe fuck it like they don't have to progress just you know it's worthwhile because a human gets entertainment from it and it's not as cynical as i you guys are used to hearing me say that but i some part of me feels like this show has some efficacy because of that and this episode is just a dog shit episode from like a pure i mean i i think this is probably ultimately if not a top 10 and bad it's definitely a top 10 and just pure worse to watch because it's so boring the plot is mindless and dumb it it is absolutely just a clunker idea from the beginning and i think it shows some of the my, my less kind view of it would show what a mess this was in conception from pillar on and you can see in this episode that they don't really have a vision for how that's done it seems like they put a lot of characters that were going to have like sort of immediate conflict together and then just threw them into having conflict and part of this may be that it was just uh star trek writers not getting to have these uh you know created a show that didn't work by normal dramatic narrative And so they create this show DS9 so that they can write all of the bickering, argumentative, NYPD Blue style TV that was really sort of taking over at the time. And I think they probably wanted to play in that sandbox and they thought this would be an opportunity, but they don't have any real vision. It doesn't come, it comes from like a marketing plan. It doesn't come from like a true inspirational vision. And I think that they hid that by good writing and good ideas in the first episode. But this is where I think you just see the just pure bad first ideas stages of the show. And to be honest with you, I, part of me might think that a lot of it's an early flaws of the show or that become the flaws that stay with them are kind of set up in this sort of bad vision statement at the beginning. I don't really have much more about the little stuff. I mean, this is one of the reasons uh, that I'm going to keep going back and back to is about why franchises, we want to stay with them because we have an attachment to these people. We love Bashir and Nog and I don't love Bashir, but I love Nog and I love Worf and I love Cisco a lot. I love uh, Cassidy Yates for some reason, even though she's atrociously underwritten. I love Kira by the end of the show. I mean, I love these characters. And so I want to, not a visitor, could play Kira again. There's a part of me that would really love that. But what I would love more is if a really good young writer 
was really, really influenced by Kira or Nog or Worf or whoever, and she would make a show, or he or whoever would make a show about what would inspire them using this as the as their inspiration, and then they get to sort of fix the problems, because this is an imperfect show. And of course it's an imperfect show, and it shouldn't be held to the standards of perfection. It's, it's a thing we love. You can do that. You can take it. And so this new writer gets to write Akira, or not Kira, but Akira. Uh, not Worf, but a Worf. And they can imbue that with their life and their inspirations and their idiosyncratic sort of views of the world and views of art and all of these things. And then, because my son doesn't like Deep Space Nine, and he's probably not going to like some show about old-ass non-a-visitor. And I love non-a-visitor, don't get me wrong, but just playing some role that he has no attachment to to begin with. Just kind of like writing out the rest of her story? That's not what my son wants to see. That's not what they want to see themselves and, and characters that deal with their own issues, not old-ass motherfuckers. And so I would like to see that go forward. And so I think that that's one of the problems that franchise fatigue is giving us is that we used to have to like, if we loved Han Solo, unless we were one of like the five people that got to go write Han Solo shit for books or whatever, we didn't get to touch that character. We had to make our own. We had to make John Bolo. And that character, and in the variations of that, has the textures and timbers of a new generation and new people and new voices. And, you know, it's exciting and cool. So one of the things that, like, sort of, I like, uh, watching this, listening to the podcast again, because I didn't watch this episode again, you just get, like, how these things can, these things are seeds, they could plant better ideas, just like Cisco is a seed at this point that ultimately flowers a more interesting performance until they get bored with it. That's what I feel for now. I hope this has been interesting. This is interesting for me. Oh my God, our mics are horrible. Our mics are our mics are unlistenable, and I'm really really sorry. Uh, when I I know I was probably at my poorest when this when this podcast happened and so i, I mean, it was just a 35 dollar mic i ordered off of amazon it's a usb mic had no ghost power it wasn't a condenser i'm sorry uh i'm in a good thing now i'm in like the i'm on the microphone they recorded thriller on so fuck you now everybody have a good night thank you i don't want to end on fuck you fans but yeah it was pretty horrible i, I, I you have a good day uh, i i will see you later we believe in you we know you are better than this.